Welcome. Welcome to another issue of What's New in Wagyu. It's Stephen and Lane again. And today we're going to talk about some red cows. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, some stuff that some people have asked me over the last couple of days. And we're going to discuss a little bit of alternative markets. But like usual, we're going to talk about the cattle market in general today. So right now it's kind of an interesting time. So we're seeing the prices fluctuate marginally. But our feed and input prices are kind of weird. They're walking all over the place. But that's not uncommon for this time of year. Plus, we have multiple wars going on now in, well, let's just say in the European theater between the Middle East and um, the Russians. There, There's a lot of grain that didn't make market this year. So kind of an interesting time to, to live in, but... What we're going to talk about today is is top tw- top twenty fives are down about eleven dollars and sixty five to two fifty ones. Your steers are still hovering at five fifty four to five sixty, depending on where you're at, or two fifty four to two sixty, depending on where you're at. Heifers, like always, are ten cents less at two forty three, and then the interesting thing to me, Lane, is lightweight calves are up to two sixty five. So. You know, they're flirting, you know, if you have one producers, that means with your 30 cent premiums, you're flirting with that $3 a pound on, on three fifties. That's, that's pretty good money. That's good money. 1200 bucks. So for a calf that you don't have to deal with, that's probably every day, every day. I tell people all the time this year, if you can get close to $3, you should ship everything in your pen. It is not worth feeding them for the price that we have right now. You know, and then the hot 100s are up now $1.74, which I thought was interesting where everything else is down. So hot 100s um, in Lane's world would be considered cattle that are ready to be killed but have no packing house to be in. Okay. You know, you know, and then you can pick up stalkers right now for $263, uh, you know, cows, regular cows. Uh, they're bouncing between 195 and 233, depending on where you're at. And that's kind of normal. Yeah, well, it's, that's pretty high actually for cold cows. So, okay, 233 pound live weight's pretty impressive, really. Yeah. I was thinking about the lower range. Right, right, but you know, and you're not seeing a lot of that lower range. Okay. Uh, a lot of guys are going to start coming off the hill. Um, if we start getting some snow, we we haven't seen that yet, and we're probably not going to see that for another couple of weeks, but eventually they're going to have to come off the mountain. And then the market here always takes a dump in the crapper for about three weeks. Yeah, because everybody's loading them on trucks and shipping them out. Well, the interesting thing about here is the cell yards. Like, we'll have cell yards. You know, a normal cell here, you know, in Blackfoot is about a five- to eight-hour cell every week. That, that's their just normal week-in, week-out. When they come off range, they'll be there till midnight. They'll run a... Yeah. 12 hour, 14 hour sale just to get through all the cattle. And you know, that it just is what it is. The weird thing to me is, is box beef is up almost a dollar 25. Think about that line. Yeah. The box beef programming has gone up to almost another dollar 25, which means ribeyes at the grocery store will be 15 to $20, depending on where you live in this country. The packing houses are making some serious coin right now. And I think the feeders are getting held holding the bag right now a little bit. I think they are. Well, and I was talking to Lane about this three weeks ago. I go, as a feeder, how are they buying cattle right now for $3 a pound? They're going to need $5 a pound by the time they're done feeding them. Right. 
Um, I think the answer is there isn't any cattle. That's why it's a supply and demand issue. But I think another issue that's at play is, is these feed yards don't make money unless they're full. Another weird thing I've seen going on in the last couple months, and to me it's odd, but to a lot of people everywhere else in the country, you're starting to see these buyers wanting you as the rancher to hold some retainage. I will tell you something right now. I wouldn't retain ownership on cattle right now. Okay. I don't think the market's going to be up enough for you to retain 10 or 20%. So what's happening in these F1 buyers, and I've noticed this off and on, so they want to buy your calves. Okay. Well, now they're asking you to retain 10% ownership, so you'll get paid whatever the market is. So if it's 265 you get 265 and then you have to wait 24 months to get your extra $0.30 cents a pound on it. The difference lane, and, and this is where the cards, like if you're a good gambler and you know the markets well, we used to retain a lot of ownership back in the day because we would sell them to these guys at 265 plus, right? Okay. And then we always knew, well, the years we knew the market was going to adjust up. So last year, if you would have retained ownership, I would have retained a 50% ownership in every F1 I sold to a, to a, to a buyer. Okay. Because I knew it was going to be $3 by now. Right. So we retained a lot of ownership back last year. Like it's just what we did this year. I don't know if by the time you're done feeding them, if the price will be there. So you may actually get nothing by retaining ownership. Okay. The one benefit is for retained ownership is you get paid on the pound, right? Correct. So now you're rolling in a heavier calf. Okay. So you say you sold them at 350, you you retain your 10% ownership for a year or two, whatever you decide to do, right? Right. That calf's gain is free to you. Okay. Right? Right. And then you're going to split, you're going to owe a little bit. Well, how they do it is they kill the animal. They, they take out all the yardage. They take out all the feed costs. They take all of that, and then they give you your, your percentage. And sometimes it's a pretty decent deal. But I don't know right now if I, at, at prices of calves today, I don't know if I'd be retaining any cattle. You know, when it's down to 150, 160, uh, I'll retain cattle all day long. Okay. Because I'll, I know I'll make it back on the weight gain. Correct. And I'm getting paid whatever the market value is, right? I'm already right. getting base market, plus I hold on to that 10%, and, and it makes the, the buyer happy, and it makes me a little more money on the back end. I have to wait for the money. But again, it's still a win-win. I don't know at $3 calves if you can do that. It would be shaky, right? Yeah, it's a gamble. Yeah. Definitely a gamble. And I've been known to gamble pretty big and swing for the fence, but I don't know if I would be doing that right now. Okay. R- right now as a F1 producer, if you were an F1 producer in the commercial market, I would be hitting singles and doubles all day long because you haven't had a big paycheck in a lot of years. Yeah. Time to get your paychecks. So so your father-in-law, mm-hmm. he has a F1 herd. Yep. And so if you would tell him, we Kevin, sold, we sold them all. Yeah. They're done. They're gone. Yeah. We're going to ship them out in a couple months, uh, a couple weeks, the end of the month. Yeah. So they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. But why yeah. wouldn't you? Right. So, you know, and, and, and yeah. I, and I manage that herd, right? Like that's what everybody doesn't realize yeah. when I talk about these other herds. A lot of the times I'm managing these herds anyway, you know, and, and it's because I know the market better than they do. Right. 
And that's the big one right there is, is if it worries me, I don't know why you'd want to retain a lot of ownership right now. You know, and, and, and I get why the buyers want to do it. It makes a lot of sense. Right. Now here's the one thing, the one caveat on this lane. I deal with a lot of F1 buyers that lease out the bulls they buy from us. Correct. And then they buy back the calves. Correct. The one thing I can say is if I was uh, in their shoes, I would actually require my new, the new people to my program would be required to own 10% ownership until I verified that they're producing good cattle. That makes sense. Because it puts, it puts them in a situation where they have to produce or have the best females on the ground for these F1 programs. There you go. There's no more of this, you know, Bramer influenced and limousine influenced and, you know, no, no Gelvies, right? Right. You'd, you'd, as an F1 producer, you'd want a little red Angus cow or a little Angus cow or Hereford or one of those highly known for marbling breeds. Right. <laughs> like right. even semis, right? You'd run yeah. some Semitals, you'd run yeah. Charlays, you'd run, you'd run any of them. But it, it kicks out the people that are not good producers because they, I hate to say it this way, they never get a premium because they're not producing what they've promised. Okay. And some of that's the Wagyu fallacy, right? Right. Just because it's a Wagyu bull, it's good. Well, we have, we, we know people around here that says, you know. All Wagyu's the same. Exactly. Or you just need about a 16th of a Wagyu yeah. in, a, in a guilty and it's going to. Just be fine. You know, go out to prime and yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we heard it all. all. We've heard it, right? Yeah. And and the problem is, is that Wagyu bull? Even if he so say you had the best verified carcass bull in the country, the best. Period. Okay. You know, I don't care whether it was red, black, red, black, whatever, white one. That cow is fifty percent of the problem. So if you're breeding them to some some commercial cows that don't already marble. If you've got a lot of longhorn in your herd, you got a lot of coriani in your herd, you got a lot of eared cattle in your herd, you got a problem. Cuz they're not going to grade. And they're not going to and they're not going to they're not going to grade and then you're sticking them with a person who's trying to have a have a business of buying F1 cattle. Well, how many times have we talked about this about the influence of the of the cow the mother, Oh yeah. Right? And, and it's with everything. Yeah. And she takes and her characteristics pass down. Correct. Because 50% of the genome is, is the cow. But here's the thing, Lane, too, that no one realizes. If you were to go in and actually do a gene count, right? Correct. You might have 25 cow, 75 bull, right? Mm-hmm. You might... Well, prime example, you have five children. I do have five children. And are they all the same? Not one of them. Not one of them. And each of them have a different characteristic buildup between you and Janice, right? You can Correct. see it. You can, you can, when you talk to them, you can, you can get that through their intellectual concepts. And they all have their strong points. They yep. all have their weaknesses. And, and that's the problem that people don't understand. Just because even if you had the best Wagyu sire in the country, if you're breeding bad commercial cattle to make F1s, you're going to run into a wreck. And the even worse part is if you sell one of these these F1 companies that are leasing their bulls out, uh, a bull that's not a high performer or not even a good performer. You know, we know a guy right now who was buying a lot of bulls and unhappy with them for years. 
And then he comes to us and he's been pretty happy with what he's got. And that's, that's because we're giving him bulls that'll, that'll fix some of the problems that he's got. But at the same time, you've got to know the cow herd them bulls are going in. Exactly. So, so I, like I cleaned up my father-in-law's herd. You did really quick. Real quick. We took out it. You know, there was a couple weirdos in there that my, my kids loved. They had a, they had a shorthorn cow. And my kids loved her. They called her. They called her Speckles or Freckles or something yeah, freckles, like that. Yeah, Freckles. Yeah. She's a red cow, and she she looked like she looked more Longhorn to me. And nobody really knew where she came from. And they claimed that she was a Samantal Shorthorn, but I didn't buy it because all of her calves kept coming out looking like Longhorns with no horns. Right? Like it right. just was. It yeah. was just off. And the carcasses always sucked. So guess what? She got them. This year, I finally got everything called out that I, I couldn't say is a good producing cow in an F1 program. And, and the reality is a lot of his stuff's actually bred up. So he's got a lot of F1s, F2s that we've retained. So he's, he's, got a, he's getting a higher percentage Wagyu herd, but still keeping some of the good commercial cow properties. Okay. So since you broke the oh, subject. No, no we, haven't even got to, we haven't even got to your list yet. Okay. We haven't even made it to your list yet. Okay. I've, so, I've just... so yeah, we're not even, we're not even on Lane's list of keep me on track today. But the big thing is guys, and, and it goes with this market. If you, if you can produce an animal that every time you sell it to a feeder, that it turns out to be a great animal for that feeder, it gains weight. It hits all the checkpoints. It can at least go high choice to prime. He's going to come back and buy your cattle before everyone else's. At the premium. At the premium. And never even look back twice. Say, thank you very much, and here's your check, and right. see you next year. Right. And he'll never ask you to retain ownership, because then you're getting into his pocket. You know, at that point, that's when you start saying, hey, I'd like to keep 10% ownership on these. Because obviously, you're making him a bunch of money if he's showing up asking for your cattle ahead of time. You know, that, I want you guys to remember that this breed will one day, I think, be what Angus has now become. You know, we are making these carcasses better as long as we're doing it the right way. You know, does that, does that make sense, Lane? Yeah. So today we're going to talk about red. It, it's a red Wagyu day. Uh, we did blacks last week. Uh, we're going to talk about some red cows. And, and I've got some interesting questions asked lately. Um, and I've got some real concerns because people are doing some interesting things to, that I don't know. I don't know if it's progressive for the breed for one, but I also don't know if it's going to make the breed any better because of what they're doing. Okay. So from time and all eternity, this breed has had one major problem. And you know what that is, Lane? Tell me. We don't cull things. Yeah. We do. Right. But 99.9% .9 of people I know have less than a 30% cull rate. Okay. I'll knock the nuts off 80% of them. I don't care. Yeah. If they don't meet metric, they don't stay. They don't stay in our production program. They don't stay. They, they just don't work in our program. We won't play yeah. with it. And we don't pass them on for somebody else's problem. Right. And, and that's, that's the problem that, that this breed has always had. There's an interesting thing I've been seeing, and I think it's pretty wrong. Um, if you're doing this, I want you to rethink what you're doing. If you're selling your problem bulls to the commercial cattle guy, shame on you. Really. Because they don't know any better. 
and they think that you're giving them a good deal, they're paying more money than they would for a regular bull that would probably do them just as good a job. If not better. If not better. And you're selling them these. And I will tell you right now, I know a lot of F1 producers that have done this. And it's caused a train wreck in their program. You're putting the livelihood of another ranch on your hand on, on your hands by doing this. It's not appropriate. You'd be better off steering them and sell them as a steer for two or three grand to somebody who wants to feed them out. They get a lot better customer satisfaction that way. Right, right. right. So, you know, if you're doing things like that, please rethink that because that's not how this breed up. We can't operate like that. Back in the day, there was so few people that very few people got hurt like that because there was so few animals. Now there's so many breeders that have bought in cattle and they, they think they're good cattle because they've spent a lot of money on them. When in reality, they've never even seen a carcass out of that cow. So one of the important things we're going to talk about today is cattle selection. How do we, how do we at our operation, pick up cows? I have not bought a lot of cows in the last, since COVID. Yes. We have not bought and brought in another cow since COVID, before nope. COVID, 2019. Nope. And the reason for that is, is I went out and I found the cows I wanted, and we brought them home. Mm-hmm. And we've propagated them. Correct. And another thing you guys don't realize is there's a large portion of cows and bulls out in the industry that have never been registered. Because people don't need to. They've got a selling mechanism that they can sell it without having to pay the exorbitant prices to get them registered, right? right. And I understand those people. I know quite a few breeders like that. Mm-hmm. And I find it interesting that that people get upset about it. About them not being registered? Yeah, about so? them not registering the cows. Right. Um, I've found that a lot of those breeders that are not registering cows, but breeding full blood still. Mm-hmm. Their full bloods sometimes are better than most of the ones that have paperwork. Because they're breeding them a certain way, right? Okay. They've, they've, they've found what works in, the, in their operation and operations around their region, and, and they're doing them. And I'm going to tell you right now, so most of the big F1 buyers, they don't care if it's registered, if it's registered or not. <laughs> Here's the deal. The F1 buyers don't care if your bull's registered. What they want to know is when they do their DNA test, is it 50% Wagyu? And I will tell you right now, all of the big F1 companies that we deal with yeah. would rather have a bull that's unregistered and produces quality carcasses nine times out of 10 right, or eight times out of 10 than a registered flop. Than a registered flop. And, and, they've, and they've had to learn this, right? Even Snake River Farms has had to learn this. Right. Why do you think they, they put so many embryos in now to produce their own bulls? You know, and that's what everybody forgets. These cows are important, but they're, they're only important if they're good cows. And the money you spent on them does not make them better or worse. I know some cows that were bought not too long ago for three, four grand that were probably some of the better cows I've seen in a long time. Right. But we've seen other cows that have sold for twenty five, thirty, forty thousand $40,000 that... We wouldn't, we wouldn't look at them. No, wouldn't touch them. 
And, and then here's the other problem with Wagyu. And this is the other problem that I have and I've seen over and over again. And, and this is Wagyu in general. You get this weird thing out there that, that you hear is the uglier they are, the better they're going to marble. So... <laughs> kind of the good... <laughs> they have to have a good personality. <laughs> right. They have to have a good personality, right? <laughs> but the problem is with this lane is I have seen it true... Right? I've okay. seen it be true. Right. The ugliest cow in the pen when you fed him was the best. Yeah. But I've also seen it more often than not that that's my problem. My problem animal. Exactly. Right? It's ugly because it isn't forming the way that it should. It's Correct. Crisp, it isn't right. It isn't wide and, and a across lot of, the back. And, and a lot of guys in this industry, for some reason, people are making cows smaller, and I'm not sure why. People are like, oh, they're more efficient. I will tell you something right now. I'm going to tell you this. I can feed my cow, my biggest cow, Delilah, for the same amount of feed that you're feeding your little cow, and she still gains weight. We have to put her on diet. We got to go put her out on the freaking sand hill to get her to lose weight. Where she has to walk a mile just to get anywhere, and she still gains. gains. It, it's a genetic deal, guys. She is, you know, she is an easy keeper. She passes that on very very hereditly to her children. So when people tell you that, well, a smaller animal eats less food, unless you're running big range ground, which I've done most of my life, I see no realistic data, even out of Oklahoma and that all the data is so marginally skewed that small cattle make a better program. The reason we breed Wagyu is so that we can have less animals and make the same amount of money, right, Lane? Correct. So if you're already reducing your cattle size, so, so this is the problem I have. This, this smaller is a better cow works really good on the amount of food eaten on the range, right? Mm-hmm. I've got a 1,200-pound cow versus like Delilah at 1,800 pounds. Mm-hmm. The 1,200 pound cow is going to walk a little more. She's going to eat a little more efficiently. But at the end of the day, my 1,800 pound cow is going to wean a bigger calf because she's got good milk. She's been, she's been bred and designed to be a forage consuming machine that produces quality beef. So when you guys hear the, oh, a smaller cow's better, please. That, that's nonsense. That's an old... What, what is do it I, called a wise tale? That is an old wives tale. And... Data doesn't support it. Data doesn't support it. And, and I saw that growing up, right? We ran lots of range when I was a kid. I mean, you know, we had six sections range. And you had big Herefords. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was just never the thing. You know, and that's what I don't understand is... When you actually get out on these big open stretches here in Idaho and Montana and, and, and Nevada, the big ranches of Nevada. Wyoming. And Wyoming. Mm-hmm. You know, the more desolate it is, the smaller the cows are. Right? And that makes sense. But I'm going to tell you right now, at the end of the day, your goal is to make pounds of meat. Let's be honest about it. Yeah, you get paid on pounds of meat, right? Yep. And I will tell you right now, you will sell more bulls to the F1 producer than anyone else because the breeders, we all fight amongst each other and can't figure things out for some dumb reason. So why you, you have a small 2,500 guys to sell to other breeders, or you can open yourself up to the entire national market. 
And the biggest problem is, is every time, well, I don't like the way the, the Wagyu look, and they're not big enough for us to wean big enough calves. How many problem calves did you see out of Rowan Lane? Zero. And Hagrid hasn't had any problems either. Nope. They wean just like, they wean so dang close to being an, an average Angus animal that we've got away with being able to use them. Well, look at the four out in my pasture right now. Yep. How old are they? Uh, they were all born in April. And how big are they? Um, so f- the heifers are 500 ishes, and then the bull calves were almost 600s. Yeah. Yeah. They're big calves. They're big calves. But they've had plenty of food, mm-hmm. and we transitioned them on to lush clover field mm-hmm. when, they, when they weaned. And then we did a terrible thing to them yesterday and cut their horns off. And today they were out eating again. And running and playing. And running and playing. And, and we, we do show dehorning, so it's a little more invasive. It's a little more drugs involved. And I like the way it turns out, and I'll do it this way until I die, and that's just the way it is. And the problem is, guys, is that this all goes back to your cows. So, you know, if you're new to the herd, you're new. That, you know, the podcast seems to have more new people. And then, the, the funny, this is funny to me, Lane. We get a lot of new people, we right? Do. Because it's the new, they want to learn about Wagyu. Correct. But the old people who tell me that I don't know what I'm doing always listen to the show and then criticize what I say. Does that make any sense? <laughs> well, you're dumb and you don't know what you're talking about, but I'm going to listen to all your podcasts. Right. Makes no sense to me. No. Makes absolutely no sense to me. Why they, why they continue to, to watch or, you know, to listen, to waste their time if they think that we're, we're, we don't know anything. And, and I find it quite, quite amusing that they go on Facebook and then they start picking and trying to pick fights over the deal and then drag other people into them. Right. You know, and that's, that's just childish. And, and the person he listens every week and you, he's going to hear this and throw a bitch fit on, on Facebook too. So it's great. I love it. It makes me smile every time. I got a early email from a guy, Lane. Okay. Who was in radio for a long time. Okay. Uh, he did, he was telling me that he did, uh, early cattle reports when, in his, you know, for most of his life. Yeah, kind and of he, like somebody like Bob Zeal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like Bob Zeal and that, like right. they, they got on, they talked about things. It was uh, called the farming and ranch section here in Idaho Falls. Right. And he'd get up every morning at four o'clock and Purdue, you know, prepare and then be on from five to six 30 when all the farmers are drinking their coffee or getting their stuff ready for the morning. Right. Or, or drinking their postum. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and he goes, it amazed him that every week he'd get, he'd get people saying mean stuff, but it was, the same people. Okay. And he's like, well, why are you listening if you're just going to be asinine about it? Right? Okay. So it, that makes me smile a little bit. Um, it's kind of interesting sometimes. But Oh, everybody yeah. likes to take a... Nobody wants to take a swing when I'm there. No, they'll, no. They'll, they'll do it on fucking no, line. Yeah, but they don't dare do it when we're here. And, and it is what it is. Like, like I don't mind a good fight, especially if you want to, you know, but these keyboard warriors, it just drives me crazy because they're not, they're not man enough to say something while I'm there. Right. I mean, it's, 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 I saw this person multiple times at the association uh at the AGM Right. and not one time did I get 
blip from him at all. Not one time. Yeah. And I saw him multiple times. Well, you can't, you can't reach him through this microphone. That's right. And, and right? that's the sad part about it. That's the problem, guys. And if you guys are, are posting online, you're going to get mean stuff said. If you're trying to sell your cattle online, you're going to get mean stuff said to you no matter what. And here's the thing. And Lane, Lane knows how I am. It doesn't bother me. But don't take it personal. Most of these people have problems of their own, and that's why they're out on the keyboard throwing, throwing dirt. Right. Right? It's just like in life. Most people who want to be bullies probably need a little bullying themselves because they have problems. You know, and they can't, they can't seem to get their shit squared away, so they're out there trying to wreck other people's benefit. Or the, or the benefit that they think they know, right? Right. Like, they don't know the whole story. They know bits and pieces, and then they think that they're the, they're the king operator. You know, and, and that's just, it's just how people are. But I will tell you something. Cows are so important in this breed. And you really need to figure out what a good cow is. And a good cow for us is a lot different than a good cow for someone else. Cows that fail our program, I have other people who buy them that say they're the best cows in the herd. But then we're, and don't mistake this as us selling our problems. No. They just didn't meet up to some criteria that we have. You know, but they're good cows. Right, right. And we have a growth criteria. We have a feed efficiency criteria because we're one of the few people that have a feed program that actually does feed, feed challenges. Like, like, you know, and we've, we've been lucky enough that we have good cows, so most of our stuff fits right where it needs to be. But we have a phenotypical. Like, if, if you're the smallest one that comes in during shot time, you're getting banded or, or getting killed out to the, to the cold pen. Well, right now, we, we have to make a decision with Amelia, right? Right. Get the next little, but well, she isn't, she had a calf, was a mummy calf. But, but she and produces good embryos she, and we've got her bred back, but here's the deal. She is not hitting my embryo, my embryo it, number. Exactly. But she never has. She never has. And so we've got to make a decision on and She's I've a got, great cow. And I've got three sisters of her. And, mm-hmm. and again, guys, you guys are like, oh, if she's five or six, she's doing good. If they're not making 20, we don't want them. It's just the that, reality. That's the reality of it, right? It, I don't like collecting wagyu cows, especially red wagyu cows that don't give me twenty animal. You know, around twenty. I say around that seventeen to twenty-five is our is where I'd like to see them. Yeah, you know, and we have cows that do it day in day out. Yep, day and, in day out. Day in day out. As long as we give them efficient semen to do it with, right? Right. So there's our problem, right? All right. in cows. Remember. The owner is 50% of the problems most of the time. Exactly. We have to take care of their nutrition. We have to take care of their vaccinations. We have to make sure that they're healthy. We have to make sure they're getting everything in that rumen that needs to be in that rumen to keep the good bacteria in, the bacteria out. I mean... Well, and then then we turn around and and when we collect, we've got to remember the quality of the semen matters. Right? Correct. If we don't get quality semen, you can't expect them to have fertilized eggs. Exactly. And, and that's where a lot of people get wrong. Um, you know, we had last spring, I had a little bit of a wreck. Um, we used some semen that we had brought in that I, was, I wasn't excited about bringing it in from who we, who we ended up getting it from. And we collected with it and we got 
28 unfertilized eggs. And I was a little hot. Mm -hmm. And they knowingly sold me bad semen that we sent back and got appropriate semen sent to us with a, with a verification and that semen quality is good. Um, but that happens, right? Mm-hmm. And you new breeders, you've got to remember some of the semen's been in 10 or 15 semen tanks over its lifetime, and you don't know the quality of it. Oh, boy. So we usually check semen when it comes in, and this stuff came in the day we, we needed to breed for collection, and we never got a test done on it early on, or we'd never used it. And shame on us, right? It, well, it was just me being in a hurry, right? Right. But that, that's yeah. kind of a shame on us, right? Yep. And and we've got a bunch of stuff we imported from Australia that'll be here right on time for our next flush or our next breeding for flushing. And we're probably going to cut it close. But I've had it all tested before it was sent to us. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's, that's the difference, right? Sure. And we learned from it, right? Like I already knew I needed to do it, but then I wasn't smart enough to do it. Right? And we all get like that. We get you know, in a hurry or trying to get something done and it just doesn't, it doesn't turn out the way we want. The other problem is guys with these cows is you have to essentially sit down. I want, you know, if, if you would sit down and write out in your mind what the perfect cow for you is. And then you breed to that. I know a cool old dude. He used to own the mill in town. When he got into the Angus breed, 1960 something, he said that he went and found two pictures in a magazine okay. that were taken in like 1935, 1936, mm-hmm. and they are in his office to this day. Okay. And you go in there, you know, next time we're over at the mill, Lane, yeah. ask, ask Claude about them. Okay. Those are his ideal cows. And he has tried to breed cows to look like them ever since. And he does a pretty good job. He does a damn good job on his cows. But that's what I'm saying, guys. You've got to have a good cow, and just because you spent a lot of money on it doesn't mean she's a good cow. So here's the, the other part. People right now are doing something that I think is very foolish and very money-driven, and I understand people need to make money, right? Correct. So why on earth do people go out lane and buy expensive semen that's starting to become rare and breed it to every mutt in the breed. Well, we discussed this the other day, right? Yeah. We were talking about AKA um, dog. Oh yeah. You know, the breeds and things and the shows and, and, and the pedigrees on these animals and stuff. And, and then we got talking about cattle. Yeah. And then we get talking about some of the European breeds that have great genetics and stuff through and, these guys are calling the cattle and everything else. Then we get into the Wagyu, and these guys are, yeah, it's, it's a train wreck. Right. And, and Just so here, because it's Wagyu. Right. And, and here's the problem, guys. I don't care if you think you have a good cow. I want you to show me why she's a good cow. Right. Yeah, I want you to list out the reasons why she's a good cow. And maybe your program is you're making maternal Wagyu, right? Right. But carcass is still important, right? It's, it still, it's still important, but it's not the number one most important thing. If you're making a maternal Wagyu cow, you want her to milk, you want her to take care of a calf, you want her to do all those little things that are important for a cow to do. Yeah. 
if you're going to breed Wagyu bulls to sell to F1 breeders, you better be breeding a carcass bull. Yeah. Right? One that's got marbling, is proven to be able to get them what they want. With good semen counts. Right. With good semen counts. Right. And here's the other thing, guys. You have to have appropriate ribeye shapes or you're going to piss off the F1 guy so bad it's not even funny. So right now what I'm seeing is, is people are like, oh, Rusha's expensive. So I'm going to breed my 12 cows to Rusha and then sell embryos. They've never killed any animals. They don't know about the 12 cows they've got. No. But they're doing it. You know, MasterChef's becoming the same way. And I will tell you a secret, guys. You breed MasterChef to the wrong cow, you're going to cause a train wreck. I've seen it. Been there, done that. I have seen it. I have also talked to Barbara long enough and known her long enough that she told me that that bull is an amazing bull that amplifies all characteristics of that cow. Which means if she's a poor marbler, he's going to amplify her poor marbling. If she's ill-tempered, he's going to amplify it. You know, some bulls in every breed are like that. They call them amplification bulls. They take what the female gives them and they make it better. Or worse. Or worse. Well, they make it bigger. Bigger. More pronounced is what they call it. Whatever the good traits. Yep, and the bad. And the bad. And that's what everybody needs to recognize is that you, you can't just breed to your cows to a, your bull so you can sell embryos and make a bunch of money. Like, I get the why you're doing it, but you're not helping the next guy out at all. What you're doing is you're giving them train wrecks. And it's not fair. No. And it's not fair to the next guy. No. And here's the other problem. So now you've got these bulls that have been put on crappy cows, and you're trying to do EPDs. So the world's trying to do EPDs right now. Okay. And EBVs. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's what they're. That's what they're trying to do. Right. And the problem is, is when you breed a bull to an inferior cow, guess what happens to that next progeny lane? It's inferior to both its parents. Correct. And then that bull gets docked because he's been bred to an inferior animal. Just imagine if this was back. In the old west, right? And you did that to somebody and everybody was carrying six guns on their sides, yeah. hit on the hips, right? Right. <laughs> you wouldn't be doing it very long. You right? wouldn't be doing it very long. But but that's what everybody forgets, right? Is that just because you have a wagyu doesn't mean it's good. But not everybody has the same vision of what good wagyu is either. You know, I, I know some breeders that their whole goal is to make very maternal herds that, that marble well. And then they find really high-end carcass bulls to put on their cows. They don't have the problem, do they? They don't have the problem. There you go. And then I know guys that they strive for these carcasses, but they're never killing any animals. You know, we kill animals because it's part of the program. Because I want to see what we're doing. You know, I, I don't love owning a butcher shop and a, a you know, ha- helping, you know, having feed, fed animals to, for the purpose of getting them to the butcher shop. That's no. not my favorite part. No, you, if you had your druthers, 
you would not do that. Nope, nope, but I know better. Yeah. Because I was raised in a, in a cattle-based family that, and sometimes I say this, my education gets in the way of my common sense sometimes. And in the educational world of, of feeding and nutrition and animals, when I, when I was educated in it, they told you that you should cull 80% of your animals to keep the top 20%. So tell your story. I think it's a good, uh, a good point of your short horn that you just had to have and you wanted your grandpa. So, so I wanted some short horn cows for a long time, um, mainly because they were cool. Right, you and thought they were cool. They were just cool, and, and you like their pelts. Yeah, and we showed against them a lot, right? Like when you yeah. start showing against cool colored animals, you always want one. There you go. And you know, no matter what, um, when I was, I was raised that if you're going to do something, you're going to win, right? Yeah, that's how you were raised. Yeah. So we went and looked at short horns and looked at short horns and looked at short horns, and then I finally found the one I wanted. And it was not a good one. I thought it was good because it looked cool. <laughs> but it wasn't a good one. And, and I didn't get it. Because uh, I wasn't going to... How do they put that? I was, he wasn't going to waste good money on a bad project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the right way to put that. <laughs> and I knew the guy who actually got that calf... And we were, we showed against him later on in the year, and that calf didn't turn out ever. Um, and then he reminded me of a of a very important thing: is a person should always show what they breed, right? Correct. Uh, it doesn't do you any good to show something someone else bred. It's it's just not it's just not a good thing. So then it gets back to good cows yeah. with good sires, right. good bulls to produce. And, and one way you can guarantee you've good got cows. a good cow, right? And, and this is how a lot of times we guarantee that we're getting a good cow. I go look at their mother. And a big sign to me that this is a good cow is that if the person who has the cow I'm looking at retained its mother... A cow should have a calf better than her. Yes. Within three breeding cycles. That's our theory. It, no, it's it's not a well, theory. That's it, it what is, we do. It, it, no, no, it is a national standard for high quality breeders. Okay. That you know, in, in the Angus world, they have what's called the Pathfinder. Okay. That cow has to be in the top. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. I think it's in the top like ten or fifteen, maybe even twenty percent of the breed. It's calf three years in a row. Okay. Right? So she yeah. has to produce quality calves every time or she's now she's, she's not kicked path, out. Yeah, right. she's not a pathfinder. There you go. And I know a lot of guys that strive their entire career and never get pathfinder cows. And I know other guys who dumb luck into them all the time. But they dumb luck into them all the time because they're the, their cows are already pathfinder cows. Okay, that makes sense. Does that make sense? And, yeah. I, and I tell people that. They're like, oh, they dumb lucked into them. I'm like, yeah, dumb lucked into them, right? You're breeding a certain way to get a certain outcome, and they dumb lucked into them. You know, and, and that's the problem. Um, by, by seeing what their mother looks like, I always try to own the mother if I want the calf. 
right? Mm-hmm. That, that's really how we work. And sometimes I get it done, sometimes I don't, right? But, you know, I always take a swing at it. Um, another one that's interesting to me is there is a difference, and I'll be the first to tell you this, between cattle raised on Wagyu moms and Wagyu calves raised on other breeds. There's a huge difference. Um, my Wagyu cows that raise calves, we, we get 400 pound weaning weights, three, fours, somewhere right there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely love the temperament that my dairy cows gave my master chef calves. There you go. Uh, temperament is not only an inheritable trait. It's a learned trait. But it's also a learned trait. Okay. And and here's the thing, guys. So I've I've raised these cattle a lot of ways. I've had them in recipped Angus cows. I I think my favorite cows right now are these dairy calves. They're not dairy calves, they're they're master chef on top of our D4 cow, but put on dairy animals. And they're just different. They're calm, they're easygoing, they don't get riled up. Uh, I loaded the whole pen of them by myself while Lane ran in the house for a minute yesterday. Uh, I had more problems with the donkey and the sheep than I did the calves. Right. Right? Um, they, they're different because the dairy cows that we have are, are very calm. Very calm. Uh, they're very docile and loving to the calves. So the calves get all the loving that they'll ever need. But I think the biggest thing is, Lane is that, you know, we're out there all the time. We milk once a day. Yeah. Right? So them calves are up in your face. They're up around you. They're not scared of you. They know who you are. They know humans bring food, you know, for the milk cows. The milk cows get them up eating out of the bunk quickly. Like, they're the fastest I've ever had animals eating out of the bunk. So with this, I want you guys to think about this. You don't only have to worry about with, with embryo cows. This is, this is a wild deal to me. And I, me and Sean talked a little bit about it today. Well, yesterday when we were collecting embryos, right? Yeah. Fetal programming in cows is huge. Yeah. Fetal programming states or is the theory of that from the time of the conception of that egg, we are required as herdsmen and, and owners to take care of that animal to the highest degree so that they have the best chance to fulfill their genetic potential. And it starts from conception, right? Correct. So when I have them on regular commercial cows, they don't get the human interaction. They don't get that till we wean them. And they're a little wilder. They're a little harder to control. They're a little this, they're a little that. We get it all done, right? We, we calm them down. We get them around people. We do all the things necessary. We found that if we hand feed them, um, especially the heifers, that they'll come to the bunk, they come to people, they, you know, they, they learn those traits. But the biggest trait that they learn um, by having them on these dairy cows is that they can eat whenever they want and they can eat as much as they want. And I think that's going to produce a bigger animal all the time. Now, I want you to also remember, and they can drink as much oh, as they man, want. They oh, can man. drink. Oh, and we still have a gallon of milk a piece out of each of the cows, right? And, and then the little guzzle gut would drink so much that she had milk coming out her nose. Yeah. So is that bull calf? He does it too. Yeah. But here's the thing, guys. You, you've got to remember this, right? 
you have not only the genetics from the other cow you got, so you've got to make sure that's good, but the animal, if you're going to use recips, you've got to make sure that they're good recips. And there's a lot of stuff out there about, oh, you know, you shouldn't ever get to dairy stuff. You're going to get yonis. If you buy from a very reputable dairy, you shouldn't worry about that. Right? Right. Don't go buy from the mega dairy. That's stupid. Oh, oh, that's, yeah. Go buy from a guy who's milking 100 head of cows. Or less. Or less. Uh, Mortimers are like, what, 50, 55? Yeah. Uh, Beautiful Jersey cows. Beautiful Jersey cows. But they don't have problems because guess what? They take care of their animals, and they don't bring problems in. And how how many does Sean? Sean I'm milk? not sure. I think they milk like fifty to a hundred somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. And they take care, care of their cows. Yep. And they're good husbandsmen. And they yeah, they just take care of everything. They just take care of everything, right? I probably should ask Sean how many cows he's milking. I never do that. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm guessing fifty to a hundred just from being there. Oh, right? the size of his tank, that's all yeah. he could, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing by the size of... And that's a lot of times how you can tell how big the dairy is, is look how big their bulk tank is. Yeah. There is some misconceiving stuff with bulk tanks if they're holding milk for like 24 hours. Mm-hmm. You know, if they have to hold it for 24, 48, whatever it is. But, yeah. um, you know, and that's what, you know, I don't I don't bottle feed these if we have to. We put them on a cow, right? We we spend the time grafting grafting calves. How are these new calves doing on the... Um, I haven't I haven't pushed it yet. Okay. Um, she's got a lot, a little edema, like all dairy cows have that we're working through. We milked her this evening. She gave us, you know, five gallons of milk and I think they're nursing on her. I haven't, we haven't pushed the fact, right? Right. They've got two mamas that are milking. That's good. Yep. We're going to transition one of them out and then them onto the Jersey cow and, um, on the marigold. Right. Um, I'm letting her get used to the process before we start things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the process, you know, we go through is, is we tie them for milking. We get them all ready. We let the calves nurse or teach the calves to nurse. Sometimes it's a trial. (laughs) Uh, I found if you let them get hungry enough, they'll figure it out. Um, calves are pretty resilient that way. Uh, we usually bring the calf home and wait 24 hours ish, give or take, um, and then try to have to figure out the whole new nursing angle on. Yeah. She's well, and and it's going to, and it's going to get better link. A lot of that's edema. Yeah. Uh, we were, I was checking it today. Um, you know, just from birthing and pre-feeding and all that, she's a little, she's got a little edema. We'll get that all squared away in the next week or so. She calved like one Saturday. So that that's norm, right? That's the norm. norm. But if you don't know about these things, you'd never know. But the one thing I'm wondering is, is because we're raising butter fat, Mm-hmm. Are we going to get a better growth rate on the last of these Master Chef calves? We might, you know. And, and I've got the data on the first set, right? right? So we can we can compare and contrast, and maybe we run one Holstein, one one Jersey, you know, off and on. I'm going to have a great milking herd by the end of this next year because we've got a bunch of calves coming up at the dairy, so we'll have a small herd of milk cows. Not sure how this is going to work. I have to make Aaron come in and milk half the day. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? It just is what it is. Um, but, th- you know, that's that's important, guys. And we got to make sure our moms are good moms. Just like in humans, right? Good moms make good people. Bad moms tend to not make good people. And it's, you know, you can see it with people. You can see it with cows. You can see it with dogs. You can see it with whatever you want to look at the mammalian world. Good moms make good offspring yep you know the dad's just there to ride around that's it yeah he's just there for the ride to get yelled at from time to time so you know 
and and Lane's got this list. So what's what do we got next? Yeah, see, we talked about using good bulls versus on marginal cows. Um, maternal characteristics, the importance we did that. Uh, choosing appropriate cows to match Covered the bulls. We touched on culling a little bit. So culling is a very uh, an important thing. Like I get you guys, some of you new in the industry have spent a lot of money to get in, and you want to recoup some of that money. If you're not culling a minimum of twenty five or thirty percent, um, you need to rethink what you're doing. So if you want to build a program that people are like, oh yeah, they always have good cows, you have to cull. The higher your cull rate, the better your cows become. And there's always someone out there that's willing to buy a Wagyu cow or a Wagyu calf to feed. Yes. Right? Yes. right. There, there's someone always out there. You may not get five or ten grand out of the calf, but you might get two. But yeah. it's better than, than breeding, you know, allowing a bad animal to continue in the breed. Okay. You know, so, so I really, really need, you need to step back and figure out what your cool rate needs to be. And, if, and say you can't get there. Say that you have to have nine out of ten animals. Okay. Uh, to make your program work. Okay. I disagree with your financial situation, how you got there, right? Okay. But you did. You're there. We're here. We're on, we're on the break, right? Correct. Um, if you can't call, figure out which are the best and market them appropriately and then sell the rest as you can, right? But that next year, please plan. Please plan to call. And, and here's the deal. If you're raising Wagyu, you probably should be eating one. So you should at least have one on the cool list every year. Yeah. Right? People talk all the time, well, I didn't eat Wagyu for the first 10 years I was in the business. I'm like, why? You're doing all the work, and most of you are doing it for free. Right? Yeah. Castrate a bull and eat it. And not only would you that mean if you had 10 animals, you're castrating and killing one bull... That means that you have culled 10%, right? Correct. Which means that you are already on your way to being better than you were the year before, if you, if you, didn't, if you didn't do any. Yep. And you'll have a good quality thing that you can test your feed rations, your feeding, your ability to manage a steer. And the next offspring? Yeah. Is if you're doing this right, going to be better. Right. So you can take one of the other... Yep, cows, Once, whatever the bottom, whatever the bottom, bottom of the is, barrel is, and, and do the same thing. Do the same thing. And then you always have meat for you and your family. And there's always going to be somebody out there that wants to buy one from you, like a half or a whole or a quarter or whatever it is. So, you know, start small. It's okay to sell a quarter at a time. It's okay to sell half at a time. It's okay to sell one animal and keep one animal. It's okay. It's okay. But please, please think about calling your, your bottom end. And I get that you've a lot of people have spent a lot of money to get in the game. But I guarantee you, your herd will become better just by culling the bottom end. And will become more profitable. It will, in the long run. Like you've always said, this is not the short game. No, no. This, if you want to be in the short game, you need to go jump on the Angus wagon. Or on the shorthorn wagon. Because you can make quick turnaround there. It's just, it, it's such a progressed uh, association and they've got all the, the bells and whistles to bring you the extra profit that you need that, that if that's what your goal, make quick money, you need to jump on that instead because the Wagyu game is just starting to run up the hill and it's going to take some time. 
And the more we mess with it, screw it up with poor animals. The longer it takes. And, and how many bad animals do you, have you seen over the years, Lane, since we've been doing this? A lot. Uh, and the sad part is, is Lane has to be the poor guy that calls and says, well, this is what it is. And they're like, well, it's, it's Wagyu. It should be great. Lane's seen select Wagyu. I've seen not even select Wagyu. Lane would call it no roll back in the day. Like they wouldn't even grade it. And they're, they're long fed animals, which is scary to me because they have all that time and money in them. They do. And, and that's guys, you know, that's the scary part is, is don't cost yourself more money than you need to give. Right. Everybody's trying to do this the most efficient way possible. I'm not saying cheapen up and cut corners. I'm saying be conservative in your spending on what you're doing. And, and Lane's kind of the master at that, especially at the shop, right? Uh, I'm the one that buys the expensive stuff and brings it into him. Um, he's the one that makes sure that he's conservatively spending all the time, if that makes sense. Yeah, he, he laughs at me a lot of times because he says that I probably have given Abe Lincoln Headache headaches times. because I pinch his head so much. You know, and, and that's okay, though, because that's how Lane was raised, and that's how Lane's lived his, his adult life, is being very conservative and frugal. And that's why he's the best person to be in charge of the butcher shop, because that he is that way. But then he has me that, that goes, hey, Lane, this is going to save you time and money with this. And, and, it's, and it works out really well. Um, he might not like it all the time, but it seemed like even with the hamburger thing, right? Yeah. Lane didn't want to go away from Chubbs, but we had to go away from Chubbs because we had a quality quality control issue. But now I don't think that Lane would go back. back, No, you know, and it's actually cheaper per bag to run vacuum back than it was the Chubbs, right? Yeah, like we figured it out by the time you input the packaging for the Chub, the tape or whatever you're going to do to close it, and the man out, the three guys, the two guys to do it. Lane's far better ahead. Yeah. I just tell him, I just tell him when he, we do want to do new things. So I just ask him where our ROI is going to be. And then I usually it, laugh and go, well, we'll see. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's well, not going to make us more money. I don't want to do it. But, but here's the biggest deal, right, guys? And I'll tell you right now, um, you, you need to know what your ROI is in this Wagyu game. Oh, boy. I'll tell you right now, I've been really impressed with David Mills down in Texas. Like he's taking a very businessman approach to his Wagyu herd Uh and he posts stuff like his, he had a spreadsheet he posted, like it's been eight months probably ago. Just genius, right? Like I I know I need this and this is how much money I've spent. This is how long it's going to take me to get it back. You know, this is my, you know, what I'm going to do this year. This is how much I'm going to spend. This is how much I need to get back. And and it just, it's a good program. It's just a, a Good business plan. Right, right. And he can see what he's doing and where he needs to be and how he's going to get there, right? And and I'll tell you right now, I'm going to tell you this for a fact. I would rather take a good businessman with no cattle experience than a cattleman with no business experience. Does that make sense, Lane? Makes a lot of sense. You know, um, I can... A good businessman can learn anything because they're willing to learn. A good cattleman struggles to learn business if, they, if they're not a good businessman already. We've seen that. I, I can tell you right now, I know, I know hundreds of them. 
you know, and that's why they lose their ranches. And that's why, you know, family ranches get broke up because that is not an important thing to that family is teaching business principles. That's more important for them to go in cowboy. Right. And, and it's just the reality. So what's the last thing on the list? Alternative markets. Okay. So tech. we're going to end this with alternative markets. So I want you guys to start thinking about this. So the F1 market is considered an alternative market, right? It's not a full blood market for breeding stock. Right. I will venture to say in the next 10 years, and and we're going to listen to this in 10 years and laugh about it because it's probably dead on the nail from what I'm seeing now. There will be more commercial cattlemen getting into this game every year for the next 10 years, as long as the premiums are there for quality. The problem's going to be if you're selling shitty animals, those premiums become smaller and smaller. Right now, the F1 guy gets a premium of, on average, between 30 and 40 cents a pound over market price. I know some F1 briars now that have reduced it to 20 cents because there's no guarantee anymore of the quality of Wagyu, half F1 Wagyu they're getting back. And most of it's due to the bulls, right? Right. They are still offering the 30 to 40 to their good producers who have managed to find good bulls and have good cows and get them into the high choice, high prime, 90 plus percent of the time. Right. Because they can afford to, right? Right. They can't afford to pay you 30 cents for for premium. For good. For good. Or select nowadays. You know, when Lane was early in the industry, it was good, choice, and prime, right? Yep. And, and Lane still uses good, and it makes me smile and laugh all the time because a lot of people don't know what he's talking about. But, you know, good isn't good. <laughs> yeah, it is now because it's select. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's select. <laughs> but, but good isn't good, you know. And if you aren't making the feeder money, they can't afford to pay you. Right? Correct. So there's a reason we vertically integrated. The reason we vertically integrated because I didn't want to have everyone in my pocket. Right, Lane? Yeah. Uh, In everything I've done, in every business I've been in, and everything I do, I find ways to cut out the middlemen. But when you're first starting, you need those middlemen. If you're a commercial producer, you need those middlemen. Yep. You need to be able to go out and be like, hey, John, you come and buy my calves every year and I produce very good calves for you. I think I need another 10 cents on my premium. Right? And if he's a good buyer, he's going to offer it anyway. Yep. If he's a good buyer, he's going to come back to you after two or three seasons and go, you know, you've been producing these cattle. This is how they've been finishing for us. We're going to offer you another 10 cents. As they can afford to pay you, they'll pay you. And there are those that are just going to scam you because that's who they are. Right. Right? That's in anything. Yeah. But, and then, you, but then we're going to find yeah. people that don't do that, right? Right. Or you will. You'll, you'll, you'll figure out. And here's the thing. The people that scam folks, they don't keep a good lid on their stuff. So other buyers hear, oh, you know, George is buying from so-and-so ranch. And this is what they're averaging. And he's, pay, he's only paying them like 20 cent premium. Well, the other buyers who are good buyers are going to come and snatch you away anyway. Yep. Because they're going to show up, hey, how about an extra 10 cents? We know you're already producing good cattle. Let's take that next step. You know, and that's the thing. And I'll tell you right now, it's a skill to feed cattle. 
It is. It's, it is. It, 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 it's, it, it's, so I tell people this all the time. Feeding cattle is where education meets experience. Because you can be the most educated feeder out there, but if you don't have the experience, you're going to have train wreck. And mm-hmm. you can be the most experienced feeder out there, and if you don't have the education to back it, you're going to have a bigger train wreck. And the reason is, is I guarantee, and I can t- guarantee because I, I do it all the time, your education gets you into doors you'll never be in without it. The circles I run in, most people have an advanced degree. Just the way it is. Yeah. Um, Lane's the exception. <laughs> but but he's, he's learned that he's got a degree from the School of Hard Knocks, right? I do. But, but Lane has, has a degree. I do have a degree. And a certificate of higher learning. Mm-hmm. But you've also got to remember, Lane's almost 70. And in his day, that wasn't important. Like, you could literally do almost anything without an advanced degree, right, Lane? You could. Minus a doctor or a lawyer or something weird like that. Yeah. You know, a good old associate's degree or a good old bachelor's degree was enough. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not that way anymore. No. Um, but I will tell you that, you know, it is where experience meets education. And the more you do it, the more experience you get, the more you learn about it, the better you become about it. You know, that, and that's what people forget. Um, feeding's hard. Feeding's not a fun job because you have sick cattle. You have cattle that come off feed, come off water. You're always responsible for the daily gains. And that's, that's where the money's made. Then the packer, he just takes all your money from you. You know, it's just the truth about it. They're the ones that make the most amount of money for the least amount of work. They have that animal for the least amount of time. Think about it, Lane. They do. At a packing house, how long do they have the animal for? Anymore. Well, alive, maybe 12 hours. Yeah. And then after they're alive, 48 hours, 50? Uh, of two, act, maybe, of act, two day, yeah. maybe two days to get them in the boxes. Right, but, but of actually touching them. Yeah. They've right? Had, yeah. So in total, these guys have these cattle for less than four days. Yeah. And they make the most money. Yeah. And all they're <laughs> doing is putting them in boxes and shipping them out. That's right. You know, they're knocking their head off, pulling their hide off, eviscerating them, putting them in a box, yeah. cooling them down. Yeah. So I want you guys to think about that, right? It, it's a vicious cycle, but it is how it works. And that's why we vertically integrated. It was just, it just made sense to us to have the control throughout the process. So I can't wait to get our grading camera. Oh, that'll be fun. It'll that be, be it'll fun. be different because Lane, this new grading camera is pretty cool. Like it really is, and it's going to change a lot of things. For we're not just going to use it on Wagyu. We're going to use it on anything that comes in the door for a while, and then we'll offer it. To, we'll offer the data back to the buyer for that pennies on the dollar, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, just so we can make their their product better. Right. Make you know so they can see if they want to buy from the same people they're buying from. And there, there's going to be some people that, that come through our shop quite a bit that learn that they're buying from the wrong people. <laughs> you know, and Lane, me and Lane both know it because we already see the carcasses. Yeah. But it's a lot harder when they're like, hey, this is a bad carcass. Right? When you have that statistical data behind it, it's hard. So, well, we're going to leave things with you today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. And we'll, talk, we'll see you next week here see at What's Next Wagyu. Bye. 
There are people in this country who work hard every day, but not for fame or fortune do they strive. But the fruits of their labor are worth more than their pay, and it's time a few of them were recognized. Hello, Detroit Auto Worker, let me thank you for your time. You work a 40 hour week for a living, just to send it on down the line. Hello, Pittsburgh Steel Mill Worker, let me thank you for your Ringing up the sails For the one who fights the fires The one who brings the mail For everyone who works behind the scenes You can see them every morning In the factories and the fields In the city streets and the quiet country towns Working together like spokes inside a wheel They keep this country turning around Hello Kansas Sweet Bill Farmer Let me thank you for your time You work a 40 hour week for a living Just to send it on down the line Hello West Virginia Coal Miner Let me thank you for your time You work a 40 hour week